On today's episode of Real Crime Profile, we discuss the podcast Young Charlie, a show on Wondery detailing the early life of Charles Manson as well as his heinous crimes. Little did the host of that show know how relevant this story would be when it began airing a few weeks ago. At the time of our recording, Charles Manson had been admitted into the hospital, and we were not sure whether he would live or die. As we now know, he died on November 19th. On that day, a horrible person, one who caused terrible pain, suffering, and death, finally left this world. Our hearts go out to the victims, and we hope that their families get a small measure of peace from the fact that he can no longer hurt others. As the sun rose higher on another sweltering day, Los Angeles residents would begin to learn about the events that had taken place hours earlier and struggle to find ways to understand them. In the early morning of August 9, 1969, five people had been savagely murdered in the tony reaches of the Hollywood Hills. They had been shot and stabbed and bludgeoned. Nooses had been hung round their necks. The owner of the house had pled for the life of her unborn child as she was stabbed repeatedly in the chest. This would not be a night for mercy. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app and answer a few questions. With Angie, you can book instantly at an upfront price or request and compare quotes from multiple pros so you can find the best price for your project. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religious rite. Five persons, including actress Sharon Tate, were found dead at the home of Miss Tate when he said, In all my years, 
I have never seen anything like this before. Hello and welcome to Real Crime Profile. This is Jim Clemente, retired FBI profiler, former New York City prosecutor and writer-producer on CBS's Criminal Minds. And with me today in L.A. again is... Laura Richards, criminal behavioral analyst, former New Scotland Yard, author of The Dash and the book Policing Domestic Violence and founder of Paladin National Stalking Advocacy Service. And I'm Lisa Zambetti. I'm the casting director of Criminal Minds, where Jim Clemente is my colleague. And we are all here together. For the first time in, a in many months, <laughs> in the flesh, in the flesh, we're all here. Um, well, it's great. Yeah. Well, it's great that we're all back together again, and in LA, and in the studio, and we have some pretty interesting stuff to talk about today. So, I think we're going to kick it off with talking about Young Charlie. Right. So this is a podcast that's on our network called Wondery. So we consider it a sister podcast. And it's a very interesting concept. It's from the folks who do Hollywood and crime. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I've been on a few times oh. talking about the Black, Black Dahlia, Dahlia killer. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're great people. And we're happy to discuss their current case. Yeah. So they've dug into young Charlie. Laura, do you want to describe what this podcast is about? Yeah, well, it's very much on point at the moment because, as we all know, what's been trending on social media is talking about Charles Manson and him being taken into hospital again. And so this is really a dive back into his childhood and the whole question about where did his behavior come from? Was it something that he uh, was born with is a question that Jim and I get asked all the time. Mm-hmm. Is it a genetic thing or is it is it is it the actual nature part to it, the socialization? And we want to really shed some light on our views, having worked on many cases. So if you haven't listened to it, definitely check it out before you listen to this podcast, because I think you'll find some very interesting things in there and that we will certainly give a nod to and we will deep dive even th- even further. So we'll be dealing with the first uh, two episodes of the series and in this podcast. And one of the things, as Laura said, that we're almost constantly asked is, are serial killers, mass murderers, violent people born that way or do they become that way? And of course, our answer is it's not that simple. It's Mm -hmm. not a binary equation. And in fact, what the leading scientists in this area, behavioral scientists, psychologists, and psychiatrists in this area all agree is that it is a complex mix of bio, psycho, and social. That is genetics, uh, personality, and psychology, as well as what happens in their lives. So, Well, you normally say it another way, Jim. I so. do. So mm-hmm. I say that the genetics loads the gun, that personality and psychology aim it, and experiences pull the trigger. So unless you have a combination of all three of those things, then people don't actually violently kill. And to try to minimize it down to one of those is kind of ridiculous, right, Laura? Right. And I think, you know, we've mentioned him before, Professor James Fallon, who Jim and I both know. And it's definitely worth checking out his TED talk where he talks about his work as a neuroscientist, which really deep dives even further by looking at brain scans and has been able to identify actually looking at 70 plus cases of which I believe Charles Manson was one of them. I think so. And he basically says that there is a gene that has now been found. So it's the MAOA gene. And with looking at the chromosomes too, that this follows apparently why more men are psychopaths is because it's handed down through the X 
um, chromosome. And he also talks about the environment and how the environment, if you're subjected to violence and abuse when you are little, before the brain is hardwired, then that will trigger um, the gene. Mm. And that will be when you start to see behavior being acted out. Right. So it's not so much the environment causing it, but the environment expressing a gene, causing a gene to express that is sitting there, maybe latent in a lot of people, but like in James Fallon's case, although he has that gene, he's not a psychopath that's going out and killing people, but he, he, he admits uh, that he's psychopathic. Oh, well, that's the other part to the talk, isn't it? Where right. he actually says that looking back in his family history himself and looking at psychopathy, because he didn't start out doing that, um, that he found through a study that he was doing because he looked at his family's brain scans that one of them did have the gene and he it was a, a blind study at the time so he unblinded it and to his shock and horror he saw that it was actually his brain scan right, right? yes and so what's crazy about it is that it turns out that a great great aunt of his is Lizzie Borden who is a notorious serial killer and so his mother kind of warned him, don't look too closely at this because it's in our family. And sure enough, it was. But the fact is that when people try to simplify it by saying it's one or the other, they don't understand. Now, I believe you have to have the genetic potentiality to be that kind of person that, that Charles Manson became. And if you look at his early childhood, although there were things behaviorally that happened to him, there were also things behaviorally that he was doing uh, they, everybody describes him as somebody who the truth didn't mean anything to. Mm -hmm. If he could use words to manipulate other people, whether they're truthful or not, he'd use them. It was just a tool for him, and other people were as well. That's one of the basic signs of psychopathy, one that, you know, you treat other people like a tool or a piece of furniture and not as a human being. There's no human empathy there. So the podcast kind of leans you toward the fact that because he was so physically small and he couldn't defend himself physically against bullies, he used his words, and so he developed that skill through that. I mean, does Well, he that would use um, multiple things. So, mm -hmm. you know, his kind of mindset from a young age was dominate or be dominated, and I think that's something that he learned through his own experience. So at times he would exploit others um, by, you know, acting as if he was crazy or mad and do the, the bug-eyed thing to make the aggressor back off and other times he would attack and other times he'd use words so he could be chameleon-esque um, but certainly someone who learned to manipulate and exploit from a very young age and right. was quite effective at, at right. it. So we know he's smart, we know he learned how to use the skills that he had and develop those skills but the motivation behind them was almost certainly there from the beginning and there's no way to adequately say, well, if he had perfect parents and a perfect neighborhood and everything went well and he wasn't very tiny when he was a kid, uh, whether he would still be a killer because that didn't happen. So right. we know that with the circumstances and with his potentiality and with his embracing of it, because I believe he used that throughout his life, throughout his childhood, and all the trouble that he got into, in <clears throat> what he learned in the institutions, I think he pulled all that together to create a persona where he could sort of have this cult following. He can manipulate them into doing really horrific things. Right. It's always, you know, we've discussed this oftentimes, Jim, but it's on a continuum. So it didn't start out at, you know, the, the most serious level to start with. And 
how it began was really sort of the dominate or be dominated him learning and that when his mother's arrested and taken to prison he's then basically left with his aunt and uncle and Uncle Bob turned out to be someone who decided to define him in a in a particular way so that when he was crying after his first day at school he made him dress in a in a little girl's dress the next day at school and made this big point of humiliating him mm-hmm. and so there were gradually a number of things that sort of happened to him including um a rape that where he was brutalized uh, a, a number of times so again it's not making an excuse for how he ended up being the person that that he was because these are all conscious choices of course but i think it just gives some coloring to his decision making his choices and he decided rather than to be bullied he would then become the bully that exploits others right and and you bring up a good point about this whole uh, this uncle forcing him to dress in a girl's dress and go to school the next day and so forth calling him a sissy um if you want to help somebody turn into somebody like like Charles Manson, then please humiliate them when they're very young, when you should be protecting them. Mm-hmm. I've heard this in similar stories where people, you know, stepfathers and, and, and natural fathers and uncles have made boys put soiled underwear on their head and go to school or wear dresses or do other things, wear diapers um, because of accidents and so forth. And... And unfortunately, a lot of those end up Mm. being very angry people who take it out on other innocent people. Because the powerless will always try and take the power back. And that's something that I've seen continuously in cases. And that doesn't mean they're going to become criminals, though. Some powerless people take the power back by actually becoming heroes and saving other people, not by actually hurting other people. So it doesn't mean that you're going to be a bad person just because real bad things were done to you. However, it certainly doesn't help the situation at all when somebody who's already got so much going against them ends up being humiliated by the people who should be protecting them. But that's with, I mean, I agree with you, Jim, because I've met people on both sides, mm-hmm. as have you, but that's normally with a positive intervention that's been made right. so that somebody else then manages to mentor them or lavish them with positive rewards and helps them with their choices and helps them feel sort of wholehearted again right. um, and attunes with them and they start to get you know different level of attachment and so empathy and remorse and all these things that are positive positive attributes um, start to develop. Without that positive intervention, that's where you will continue to see somebody, unfortunately, probably make poor choices, poor decisions that may hurt other people in the process. Is yeah. there a question, is there a time, is there an ideal time for that intervention to occur? Well, it just you depends. Know, I mean, is I mean, there a young as possible? As young as possible. A lot of people say, yeah, a lot of people say all of this stuff, all of this happens before they turn three. And so if you don't, if, if they're going through all this bad stuff and, and so on and so forth. But a lot of these actions, like in Charles Manson's case, occurred after he was three. So I still think there's some relevance afterwards. And I don't think there's an absolute time limit. I think human beings and brains mm-hmm. are, are organic organs. So they actually develop throughout our whole life. And, you know, you grow new pathways a lot easier when you're before five. But... After five, it still happens, and throughout your whole life, uh, pathways are being shut off and new ones are grown and so forth. So I think there's hope for anybody at any stage of their life, but, you know, and I do think that 
you know, some people definitely get get somebody who intervenes from the outside, and and there are still other people who kind of pull themselves up up by their bootstrap. But it must be incredibly difficult to undo the damage that is done by people again, whose mission in life is supposed to be to protect kids. Those very kids are being tortured by those people. And then you're unleashing that person onto the rest of the world. They think that's the way it is. And I've had cases, for example, when I was a prosecutor where, you know, a father was sexually assaulting all three of his sons and making them assault each other. And they grew up thinking this is just what families were like. And they had no idea that there was something out there that would prevent this or that this was wrong because this is what their dad was teaching them. And that's such a horrible thing. But luckily, at least one of them realized I can protect my younger brother. So he would fight off the dad. He would fight off the older brother. And that kid became a hero. And that's why we ended up finding out about what was going on. And so the younger the intervention, really the better. And yes, there is that school of thought from zero to three is where you get the propensity to become violent. And it's where, you know, too much cortisol is being given off and you don't attune and attach and you don't develop or if you're not practicing empathy and attunement and attachment. So, you know, the theory really goes that when when you have a baby obviously you want to start to attune with it so you start smiling trying to get the child the, the baby to smile back and when they start to crawl you practice that behavior when they start to walk and talk you practice that behavior and you encourage it all along, you encourage right? it all along and that's really important and the same with the empathy side and um, attuning so that they know what's you know positive behavior but also when there's something you know to step back from the curb or the pavement right so to understand what fear looks like and so all these things are really positive that have to happen and so if you've got a, a, a f- even a fetus or a child a baby that's in fear all the time or a mother that's in fear and that will also was most to the child so domestic abuse and domestic violence is really the underbelly of all of this so if there is abuse happening in the household that can be a major it's a major warning sign and as Jim said it, it doesn't mean to say that every uh, child growing up in those circumstances will go on to do something you know negative or criminal but it does mean to say that their wiring will be slightly different and they will look at different cues and stresses and triggers and they will behave in a way that will need to be shaped and certainly retraining the brain is an important part of it and giving as uh, certainly I'm asked the question a lot is there any cure for psychopathy um, I mean, I, I've had this debate with lots of different people, and actually, Jill Attrell, who runs the psychopathy unit back in the UK, made a case to me that, you know, she said very clearly that just because we haven't found what works, it doesn't mean to say that there isn't something. Um, and I know there are some programs running over here at Mendota, which is a juvenile treatment centre, where they're seeing some really positive results for teenagers who've all experienced domestic abuse in their childhood um, and violence and they use violence then as a defense mechanism so they're trying to divert them um, from their behavior and actually they're finding that from invoking sort of a, a positive um, points or reward system for them rather than punishing them so giving them clear uh, targets to aim for in terms of changing their behavior they the reward center in the brain lights up and starts mm-hmm. to grow and actually they have seen some great results in that some of the studies that they've seen of looking at ordinary delinquents in inverted commas who've been released from a facility to uh, so 147 of them to 101 of some of their 
groups that were released from Mendota, they found that they were far less likely to reoffend. And in the first group, out of 147, 16 of them went on to kill. But in their group of 101, no one went on to kill. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Whether you hydrate to live or live to hydrate, Liquid IV quenches your thirst faster than water alone with three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness, all in a single sugar-free stick. Liquid IV is perfect for daily use before a workout, when you feel run down, after a long night out, or on long flights. Basically, anytime you need a pick-me-up, however you hydrate. Grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier Sugar-Free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WONDERY at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today, using promo code WONDERY at liquidiv.com. Not long after Charlie arrives, Bob takes him down to Moundsville for a visit with his mother, if you can call it that. Whatever he feels or doesn't feel for the boy... It's hard to watch the two of them on opposite sides of that thick wall of glass. Charlie, if possible, looking even smaller than usual, afloat on a great wooden chair. Kathleen tries the comfort of words, since touching isn't allowed. And then it's over. Whether Charlie feels comforted or not is beyond Bob to know. But I think the most determining factor is the willingness on the part of the person to actually change. Remember, we're making millions of little decisions inside the privacy of, of our own mind throughout our whole life. And if we decide to fake out the people who are trying to give us therapy, yeah. if we decide to pretend to cooperate and not actually cooperate, not actually put our hearts into it or our minds into it and our behavior into it, then you know, nothing's going to be effective at changing somebody who doesn't want to be changed. Right, and they must get something out of it, right? There must be some kind of well, that's why rush it's a positive or reward. Yeah. yeah, good or bad behavior, right, yeah. for good or bad behavior, because your your brain will reward you in a thrilling situation, right. in a risky situation. So they find that, wow, if I steal something, if I break in, I feel this rush. Mm -hmm. Wow, this is great. If I hit somebody Sex, over the head. alcohol, drugs, yeah. that's where they get the ping, the buzz, It the can rush. get all mixed up in their love map, and they're, they're going to get these internal rewards from their brain for doing that stuff, and so that's what they do. And also when they get confronted, when things go wrong, when they have um, a really stressful situation, they act out in a violent way because that's all they've learned. They can relearn those tools. They can get the language needed to walk away from that and talk away from that, but they can't actually do it unless they actually make a decision Question, to. can medication ever help with a psychopathic personality? I'm sure it can, but what it does actually, I mean, it can modify behavior, and you could also do behavior modification therapy in terms of you know, even if somebody is prone to do something and would normally make those decisions, you can help modify them away from doing that and giving them alternate choices. But a lot of the underlying behavior can't be changed 
for example, you know, if somebody is sexually attracted to children exclusively, you can't make them sexually attracted to somebody else. So it depends on the fundamental nature of what their particular mental disorder is, um, whether or not it can actually be fundamentally changed. Mm-hmm. We're going to get back to that <laughs> later in this episode. Yeah. About, so there, yeah. there is, I mean, again, with just some of the studies that are going on at the moment, doing some, they call it neural weightlifting. So again, changing uh, the limbic system and the way that, you know, the, the brain works. But I think, you know, in, in one of the... Um, little episodes that I listened to on SoundCloud, which is about how to identify if your child's a psychopath um, by Barbara Bradley Haggerty. There's an interesting case study, actually, that is talked about of this man called Carl who's released from um, the, the facility that, where they've been treating psychopaths. Mm-hmm. And he is diagnosed as a psychopath and he comes out and he meets a woman online via OkCupid, which I do see a lot of cases via that particular um, site, purely Mm. because it's free. So it's a free online dating site and they end up getting married. Um, He then uh, sets up a funeral parlor. So there's still an association to death in many senses, this kind of curiosity Mm. that he has. Um, and all is going well for him, for him. And actually, Barbara wanted to go and meet him to just see um, and check in with him on his progress because he seemed to be this incredible uh, kind of case study of how he's had Uh-oh. treatment and things. <laughs> this going? Yeah, you can sense that there may be something coming up. Um, and literally the day before she is due to meet him in L.A., there's a phone call um, to let her know that he had been arrested. And she asked questions about, well, what what was it that he did? And apparently he was having a lot of affairs and um, he had the child at home and the wife came home. She was, I think, 15 years younger than him and sort of confronted him about being sexually promiscuous and being with this other woman. Um, And he hit her and he apparently grabbed the child and he said that he had used the child to protect himself. Um, so he ended up being arrested. Um, well, he actually tried to prevent her from calling the police, which she did call the police, and he was arrested for domestic violence, for spousal mm. assault and battery and for child abuse. And he was being put before the courts. And what was quite interesting is she, the wife, turned up at, the, uh, at court and she was uh, seemingly supporting him. But her view when she spoke to Barbara was she said that she had just had enough. She just wanted to feel that she was safe and that her child was safe and she had had enough of his sexual promiscuity um, and she couldn't deal with it anymore. And for Carl, he was talking to Barbara as well and he was saying that, you know, maybe he'd just get done for the domestic violence, which is a misdemeanor Mm -hmm. offence, which obviously uh, is an interesting point because it keeps coming up time Mm -hmm. and time again. And when we talked about it, Lisa, with, you know, the Texas shooting and all these cases where we're seeing people who may well be arrested for domestic violence, but it's seen as something much lesser. And what was an interesting point that Barbara said was that when she spoke to um, the research team about the outcome, what had happened, and he was charged, they looked at it still as a success because at least he wasn't going out killing people or harming people. That's how they expressed it. Or having it. necrophilia with his, right. <laughs> you well, know. I know, I, that's where I thought I you were mean. going with that. But oh, it's just God. the fact they didn't see it as serious. It wasn't a serious <sighs> violent offence because, it was, because it was domestic violence. And again, right. so it's just the nub of some of the things that we get into and certainly from my perspective, um, you know, there's a number of key points there that show you know in other people's uh, professionals understanding of what's serious and what isn't Mm. and even for him yes they had moved him from one thing uh, to maybe the middle of the the spectrum but certainly he wasn't cured as it were it's not a true 
you know, marker of success, I would right. suggest, when you threaten your wife and your child. And you hit them and, and you, you beat them up. Yeah. yeah, and what was he doing? I mean, it's interesting that he chose a mortuary uh, because obviously there are a lot of um, helpless bodies there mm -hmm. that right. can be molested. But apparently he trained himself in empathy so that he could interact with the family, so that he could show right. well, empathy. And, and people said he was good at it. Right, but as we know, psychopaths, the smart ones, can, can mimic empathy. Yeah. They see it in other people, they see emotion, and they act it, but they don't actually feel it. And right. I wonder if that's what was happening. And that's why I think it's so hard, because even if you do have a treatment program, how do you gem genuinely understand or know or test that what you're seeing is a an authentic reaction. How do you actually test empathy? Because mm. you can only see it on a cosmetic level on the surface, right? You can't see what goes on, yeah. you know, underneath that. And so, if, as we know, psychopaths are chameleon-esque, they can, uh, you know, adapt and change. And with Charlie Manson, we heard that when he was in prison, you know, he started showing signs of art and getting into music, etc., and wanting to go on to a lower security. Uh, facility that he could show as much promise as was needed to basically get himself there that he worked out right. how to work the system which is what we see a lot of the time isn't it Jim? psychopaths but yeah then they couldn't but then he couldn't control his impulse I mean he wanted to be transferred and he wanted all these things uh, being paroled early and so he would try to kind of toe the line but then he he couldn't be yeah. consistent with it well, and I'm poor just behavioral wondering. controls yeah. and impulsivity are two of the key traits of psychopathy yeah so in his case, his his behavior outweighed his intellect, and you know, unfortunately for the victims, um, he wasn't stopped before he did all that. And but he did win the emeritus prize for um, his behavior in that particular facility. Isn't that so special? He <laughs> was able to, um, you know, concentrate and focus his attention because of the reward of what it would give him at the end, which was early release, and that was one of the times when he came mm. out. Um, so again, you know, the criminal justice system showing that, you know, if you do the right things cosmetically and appear a certain way, and if you haven't got professionals deep diving and understanding truly what they're seeing, you're seeing surface stuff mimicking to be able to tick the box right. to ensure exactly. early release. And, and then, of course, the behavior escalates. Yeah, we've seen that time and time again with very bright serial offenders who, who are able to manipulate the system. And uh, I think... We just shot one of my episodes about a similar character, uh, Lucky, on Criminal Minds. Right. And it when was does that air? Is oh, that it aired on yeah, October yeah. 25th, but yeah. I'm sure it'll be back and you'll be able to see it on CBS.com or something, too. But, um, but the thing about professionals being hoodwinked, uh, you know, malingering uh, defendants and so forth and patients uh, many times will, will fool professionals. And it's, it's the smart ones who know all the words, who, who've been in the system. And he's a perfect example of somebody who basically grew up in the system because he was so many times in trouble as a kid, as a young adult, and as an adult. So he... He, he spent more time in prison, right, than he did on, on yeah, the outside. At least institutionalized, which, yeah, yeah, you're right. And so anyway, uh, you know, there were also professionals in law enforcement who basically didn't actually understand what was going on in this case because there were two cases very close in time both of which had blood writing on at the crime scene they didn't link the cases they 
treated them as separate individual investigations, mm. and they were actually competing with each other, these investigators in Los Angeles P Police Department. But they happen within 24 hours of each other, is, is that right? And yeah. so they set up separate investigations yes. that didn't talk to each other Correct. or share information. Makes not much sense to me, other than the fact that maybe they just, at that time, they just didn't understand. They, because the vast majority of murders are committed by people the victims know. And this kind of no motive, extremely violent crime, they thought was only, only could be related to drugs or some other kind of very violent lifestyles that just blew up in their faces. So these being in the, in the Tate murders, um, them being celebrities, they thought drugs, celebrities, drugs, so there must have been a drug thing that went wrong. Jealousy that but she the was La Bianca her, case, right. there was none of that, mm -hmm. and so they treated it as a totally different kind of thing when there was so much behavior at the crime scenes that were totally consistent. Right. Now, Sharon Tate obviously was well known, but she was also eight months pregnant, wasn't yeah. she? So, I mean, that should have stood it out straight away, the fact that it was such a brutal and violent murder and that she was eight months pregnant. Yeah, and when you talk about that, I mean, you know, it was very clear that, um, that she was trying to protect her child, and, you know, there was absolutely no empathy, no mercy, was just she a was tortured, violent, really. yes, yeah. and and all the people were stabbed mercilessly in in various different places, trying to escape, trying to protect themselves, trying to protect each other. So and none of the violence, you know, it wasn't functional. This was very expressive. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the way that they died uh, was horrific and incredibly um, brutal. And I think there was somebody outside the house as well, wasn't there? Two the people car? were outside Two the house. One in the car, one in the yard. Mm -hmm. um, and two inside. Before we get to that, um, just ticking back just for a second when he was in the uh, institution, somebody described him as being an institutional politician when he was mm. younger and going through all of these reformatories. And so somehow he learned something really important when he was going through the system that he used when he got out in order to get people to do those murders for him. I mean, I can't imagine anybody listening to us doesn't know that he didn't actually plunge the knife into these people, but he got his followers to do so. So, you know, we don't have to recover all of that. Yeah. But, um, but that cult following that that he created was definitely deliberate, and he wanted to – It's it was, it was a force multiplier for him, and that made him feel more powerful. And it's just horrible that he took it out on these, you know, completely innocent people and – you know, particularly ones that were so vulnerable. An older couple and pregnant woman and, you know, people who just happened to be at her house. And there were lots of people who, you know, it's called sort of like a cult following, but I would say that much of this is about coercive control. Right. You know, how you coercively control others and manipulate them. And you can be in a relationship or you don't have to be in an intimate relationship, but actually there was an intimacy between all of them because there was an under a shared understanding or a shared view um, and he had sort of almost indoctrinated them and so those individuals and again it's no um, excuse for what they did or for their culpability in it because it actually was all about their choice um, of, of what they did but in many senses he is able to see into people and understand what motivates them what makes them tick 
and he would exploit those vulnerabilities or he would give them what they needed at that time or what they wanted. And so that is how he assumed this kind of power over people and being able to manipulate and indoctrinate, which, mm -hmm. of course, we've seen other psychopaths in power like Hitler and others who uh, also share those traits and the ability to be able to indoctrinate the masses. Yeah. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message, and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's what happens when you give Grammarly to your entire team. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. You hear that? Your dog knows. Spring is coming sooner than you think. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas are an itchy nuisance and can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMed's pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best flea and tick products for your pet. PetMed's offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including NexGuard, Simperica, and more. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com promo code PODCAST for 40% off your first auto ship order. LAPD officer Jerry Joe DeRosa was first to arrive at the ASIN residence next door to 10,050 Cielo Drive in the Hollywood Hills. Homeowner Ray ASIN had called the police after opening his door to a hysterical Winifred Chapman. He learned from Mr. ASIN that the neighboring property had been rented to film director Roman Polanski and his wife, an actress named Sharon Tate. DeRosa returned to his squad car for his rifle, then approached the Polanski home with Mrs. Chapman. Immediately, he saw the body of a young man slumped sideways across the front seat of the Rambler, his clothes drenched in blood. There was no need to check for a pulse. So, you know, when listening to um, young Charlie, they're not only talking about Charles Manson, but they're also talking about uh, Roman Polanski, who was... Sharon Tate's husband, the father of her unborn child. Um, he's a very polarizing figure. And also I in and the I news recently. Yeah, also in the news. And I really <laughs> wanted to talk about him. And yeah. I had a question. People don't know. You know, he's a very famous director, beloved by much of Hollywood, wrote and directed. winning as yes, well. Yes, Chinatown he? and Rosemary's Baby. But my question, and so he's been accused by at least five women of molesting them when they were minors. Some is, one woman just came forward. She's said that she was 10 years old. Not just molesting, raping as well. Right. Yeah. Taking pictures of her, uh, and her mother was completely complicit in, in this, by the way. He, she 
brought the child she brought the child to him under the auspices of taking pictures as a model and he had her disrobe 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 and then raped her um how long ago was that lisa so this all happened after the murders this happened in the 70s mid 70s and so my question is (laughs) i know what you're going to say so maybe i'm teeing this up for you is it that we know of, he didn't molest anyone prior to Sharon's horrific death. Is there any sort of way that this was triggered by her death and his him going crazy after her death? Or were, was this latent in him? Well, look I at mean, his behavior mm-hmm. with her, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't yeah, he cheating on her all the time? What did you say, Laura? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly from what I've read, um, it, I believe that um, he was having affairs with other women. And okay. it, through Sharon's account, she basically said that they had this agreement and understanding that Roman, and these were her words, Roman lies to me and I pretend to believe him. And that she, when they did get together, she was in love with him. And, you know, they worked together first, but she did fall in love with him. And he was unfaithful from the start. But he would say to her, don't go trying to change me. And he would call it Sharon's hang-up. Right, a hang-up that she wanted him to be faithful. Right. Well, that's just, obviously, that's one really bad trait just to start with. Mm. But you also said something that's important. He didn't. He didn't sexually assault or rape or molest kids that we know that of. We know of. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. The vast majority of kids never report. Mm-hmm. And so even with respect to his victims, three of them came forward just recently in the wake of this Hollywood expose where people are actually feeling like they could step up and be heard and be believed when they talk about very famous people sexually assaulting or raping them. And so... Three of them just came forward now after 30 or 40 years. So to say that we don't know he did it before, chances are, like all predatory preferential offenders, which I believe he is, Mm -hmm. he realized it in his late adolescence and started offending shortly thereafter. I think the victims just haven't come forward from back then. um, And maybe they didn't survive. Maybe they didn't... um, you know, want to be dragged down, and maybe they didn't want to be just left hanging by the justice system because he has been a fugitive since he was convicted of raping a 13-year-old girl. Yeah, and I would never, I'm not here to (laughs) excuse him at all. I'm just curious if if people can, if something could trigger something that you'd never done before, that it could be, I I mean, I don't know. Well, again, it could trigger it. Mm -hmm. It could trigger behavior, but you would have to already have had the genetic p- potentiality. You would already have to have had the personality and psychology that allowed it to go forward and didn't mm-hmm. fight it. And then making that decision to do it because it was a decision and he hit it well. So we know he knew it was wrong. So it wasn't just something that he was forced to do, compelled to do without any controls. He certainly had enough controls to do in the privacy, in private situations where he had control over the victim. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I have to hate this, but I'm ashamed of so many people that I actually admire in this industry who have protected him and defended him. They and it's, it's it. horrible. I think hopefully that, you know, hopefully now that everybody's eyes are open and all this is coming out, you know, that will change. So. Um, the one thing I wanted to ask you about is this gene, this this um, psychopath gene. It's so interesting to me because, you know, I, genes are all the rage right now, I guess, in, in my mommy groups because everybody wants to know if they have a breast cancer gene or this or that. And people are having this, 
these tested. And I wonder if there's going to be a day where you're going to be testing. Your, everybody is going to want to test their kid for this psychopath gene. And that's going to be like par for the, yeah, the course. Yeah, it may. But here's the problem. I think there'll be a lot of backlash against people who have it, some of whom will never have expressed it and will never have done anything wrong. So it's a difficult thing because it doesn't mean you're going to act because we still have free will. We still have our own, all those decisions we make in the privacy of our own brain. And I think that people do want to commit bad things, bad acts, but don't. They control themselves. And just because you have the gene doesn't mean you're going to do it. So it's going to be a difficult thing. Right. Yeah, and that's an important thing. I mean, for Professor James Fallon, who's gone on to, you know, father four children and have a successful career. But he did say in his conversations with his mother, you know, she asked why was he surprised that he had uh, discovered that he was a psychopath, given that what his family makeup was and that seven of the men in his family had all murdered members, I think their wives, actually. Um, and, you know, his TED talk is very interesting about it. But he said that his mother and all his family just lavished him with love and they kept him so busy. You know, he said, oh, I kind of wondered why I was doing different clubs all the time. I literally didn't have a minute spare when I was growing up. And it's mm. because obviously psychopaths have a proneness to boredom and the impulsivity and uh, manipulation levels. So they obviously took a conscious decision to keep him as busy as possible right. on a proactive and productive pathway. And he's like, he's one of the most engaging, charismatic, charismatic people <laughs> I know. And everybody <laughs> describes him as fun. And he just, he's just great to be around and, and all that. But that's all part of psychopathy. Uh, <laughs> that's why that's those why. people are so dangerous because they can make you feel relaxed and en enjoying yourself. But they're thrill seekers. And there are people who definitely know how to manipulate. So you just got to be careful when you're around them, not around James, because he's yeah. a great guy. And well, I'm going to police his own behavior. I mean, he oh. does say that, that, you know, that's why, you know, conscious and free choice, he does please certain things. And so, you know, sometimes lacking sincerity and authenticity and things. And he said that he started buying his wife presents and sort of changing his behavior. And she just said to him, you know, don't do that. It's kind of weird when you do that <laughs> and you act in a certain way that you're really, uh, you know, practicing a, a certain thing that is actually insincere. So mm. go back to where you were before. Right. But I guess he was trying different things out and trying to, you know, please his own behavior, which he says every day you know, he has to attend to, which I think we all do uh, modify our own behavior in different ways. Of mm -hmm. course, we're talking about something a bit more. Ex yeah. But he's taking personal situations. responsibility for his behavior. And I think that's so important. He's aware of it. And I think we right. can all use that. But he does yeah. say in his family, they are due, you know, something to happen soon because, you know, he looks back in the, the history and he kind of ends his, his TED talk on that point and people laugh. But actually, you know, if history... Uh, is true, it will repeat itself mm. unless, you know, those controls are put in place and yeah. they're practiced every day. Well, I will post that on our Facebook page, that yeah. talk. I'd love to watch that. And unfortunately, uh, with Charles Manson, it didn't happen. And he ended up leading a bunch of people to, to commit just brutal massacre murders. And he was eventually found guilty and he was put away for life. And... He very much has served his time. He's now 82, is it? I'm not sure, but he is apparently close to death. Um, we'll see if he survives this latest issue in the in the hospital. But um, he's 83. 83. Yeah, he's also he's a newlywed. 
by the way. Uh, yeah. That's married a whole, that's, that, uh, oh, I'll give God. you a guess how old she was. Uh, yeah, that's a whole other podcast. How old was she? I, th- I think she looks very young. I'll have oh. to go look it up. But, but he had been looks. married twice before, right? He married uh, Rosalie, someone who was younger than right, him Right, this again. is before his crimes, yeah. Yeah, and, and was, then yeah. somebody else called Leona. I, you know, I haven't oh. really read too much about those relationships, but I'm sure that we would hear about coercive control and his manipulation. And I, yeah. I believe he had... Uh, possibly a number of children, one really? certainly, but um, I believe that Leona claimed that she had a child with him and there was another woman in the commune who he may have fathered, uh, well, he called it fathering a child with her, she called it rape. rape. So even before I said that, Jim, you knew exactly yeah. where that was going. Yeah, and, well, anybody, well, it's just there's a particular type of psychology that leads some women in most cases to fall in love with manipulative serial killer psychopaths um, wanting to sort of change them maybe I don't know but they marry them while they're in prison it's just outrageous but it is what it is it looks like his latest wife um, was 25 however she was 16 when she first discovered him so that's nice yeah so we hope you guys will all ch- go to Wondery uh, and check out Young Charlie, the podcast, by our friends at Hollywood and Crime. You can find it on Apple Podcasts and all the other platforms that you get your podcasts from. Yes, and Wondery. Apple Do you want to give out a, a rec before we depart? Anybody who is looking to watch a series on TV that's really compelling, I would say watch Ozark. Yeah, really, <laughs> I need to really watch that. I, I mean, Jason Bateman... You know, I've never really, you know, I think I think he's been a funny actor and so forth, but I really like him in this series. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a guy who can't help himself. He seems to just talk his way into, but then out of almost anything. But it's a really compelling series, and uh, having been to the Lake of the Ozarks, I know that it is, um, it is a very interesting area, let me put it that way, and, and one that is... Uh, uh, really ripe for this kind of uh, an interesting, dramatic series with with a lot of twists and turns. So if you're into that, um, I really think you should check it out on Netflix. Yeah, I, I have to catch up on that. And of course, all of you need to be watching Mindhunter. <laughs> Mindhunter, yeah. don't confuse it with Manhunt, please. Um, but I... Watch them both. Watch them both. Um but we're going to be talking about it very shortly, and uh, I, I'll, uh, I'll wait till we talk about it. But yeah, so we catch it on Netflix. Yeah, please catch Manhunt Unabomber on Netflix. Uh, it was formerly on Discovery, and it is about our good friend and real crime profile guest, James Fitz- Fitzgerald. Fitzy J. All right. And I'm going to make two recommendations. The first is actually for a talk by someone called Dr. Daniel Amen or Amen, Amen, Dr. Daniel Amen, and he's a psychiatrist, and he basically talks about the 87,000 brain scans that he has done across his career, and what happened to him when he found out that his nine-year-old nephew was having suicidal and homicidal thoughts. And it's really very interesting on the basis that um, he couldn't get anybody to operate on when he managed to get a brain scan of his of his nephew. He found that um, there was a huge cyst on his left temporal lobe that was having a huge impact on his behavior and there was clear behavioral change, but he struggled to get someone to operate on it. They just wanted to medicate him. 
Um, so he talks about the fact that actually when you do see behavioral change in somebody and, you know, it's something that is significant, that doing a brain scan or MRI could actually save somebody's life but also prevent them from hurting other people mm. um, and hurting themselves. So it, it's quite short, but I think it's very illuminating. And the other shout-out I just wanted to give was to Virgil Williams, who's a writer on Criminal Minds but who has written um, Mudbound, which won... At Sundance and I just saw it pop up well in two places one was when I was driving along in LA and I suddenly looked up and there yeah. it was on a massive billboard wow. and I wanted to jump on the phone and say Virgil this is so cool yep. I'm seeing you but I don't want to crash my car so I just <laughs> uh, dialed it down but got very excited about it and then it popped up on Netflix the trailer so I haven't actually seen it yet right. but I've seen little trailers of it yeah. and clips and I'm going to see it tonight it's, at, it's oh, getting amazing. a theatrical release I believe right that's is that what I you're saying so. I think yeah. so I don't know I'm going I don't know if it's a screening or or the theatrical yeah, release. I think I'm it's sure. going to be up for Oscars. Yeah. So, and we are so thrilled for Virgil. Uh, we miss him. He, um, because of the success of Mudbound at Sundance last year, um, where he and I both were there, and um, you know he moved on from Criminal Minds, and we miss his voice very much. But Absolutely. we are like freaking out about this. It's amazing. Yeah. So, so cool. where was the billboard, Laura? Um, gosh, you're going to test me on roads oh, now, no. Jim. Oh, no, okay, right. I'm, yeah, I struggle with, with roads still okay. in L.A. So. Yeah, well, we all do, but I just thought maybe I would. Wa- I wanted to go and take a picture of it for him so I could send it to him. I'll find out, but it was at right. a very big intersection, and I literally just glanced up, and I was like, holy <laughs> mackerel, there That's it is awesome. on the big, yeah. That is huge. one of the great measures of success here in Hollywood <laughs> to see uh, your work up on a billboard. So that I'm and really also getting a him. parking spot that has your name on it. That's well, that <laughs> is also a big measure of success <laughs> as well. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Real Crime Profile uh, about young Charlie. And we hope you visit uh, Wondery or one of your other podcast providers to listen to the entire series. It's very compelling. But for now, we're signing off at Real Crime Profile. If you like our podcast, there are a few things that you can do. You can take two minutes and go to Apple Podcast and leave us a five-star review. You can also check out all Real Crime Profile offers and promotion and our sponsors in our show notes. Another thing you can do is go over to Facebook and like our Facebook page. And one last thing is please tell all your friends, family and colleagues about us and spread the Real Crime Profile word. Thank you so much for listening to us. We really appreciate you. Real Crime Profile is produced and edited by Paul Francis Sullivan. Sound engineered by Terrell Parham. Music composed by Simba Zumba. Logo art by Jim Clementi. Real Crime Profile is produced by XG Productions and distributed by Wondery. For advice and support if you're experiencing stalking in the UK, you can contact Paladin National Stalking Advocacy Service on 0203 866 4107 or you can go on the website www.paladinservice.co.uk. If you're experiencing domestic violence, call the National Domestic Violence Helpline free phone 0800 2000 247. In the U.S., if you're experiencing domestic abuse and need advice, safety, shelter or counselling, call Genesis, the 24-hour hotline, 214-946-4357 or go on their website, www.genesisshelter.org or the domestic violence hotline on 800-799-7233.
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Real Crime Profile ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. The wait is over. So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience. Quickly, I see that. Bing! The queen of the courtroom is back. I didn't do anything. You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that. New cases. She wanted to fight me. Leave her alone. Okay, so, um... Not, this is not a so. This is a period. Classic Judy. Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would make a beeline for the door. The Emmy Award-winning series returns. How did I know that? I have a crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. It's streaming. You can say anything. <laughs> Judy Justice, only on Freebie.